Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. You go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And should you happen to be out of our calling area this morning, you can always put a 225 in front of that 291-6901 and reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States That's this morning. That's right, or put an 01 in front of that and get us anywhere in the world. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Hey, Joe, just give us a call. We always appreciate you calling in and sharing your opinions with us. And sure asking questions or might be on your mind that is what we're here for this morning right we appreciate everybody who spends their saturday mornings with us get a lot of email and stuff such as that from around the world where people are telling us yeah listen in and da 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 right and i'm always amazed at the diversity of folks who do listen to the show we get email from just every everywhere continent philippines in fact got one here from australia the right right mr Sutton from australia has got a 97 subaru legacy 104,000 kilometers on it. That, uh-huh. tells you, you that tells you right there he's not in the United States. That's right. <laughs> we, still, we still want to refer to everything. Everything's in, in, miles. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Said his son's car was having trouble, and he kept swapping parts on it mm-hmm. and never could actually hit the problem. Mm-hmm. So he told his son, he says, He said that what he actually did is because of listening to the automotive hour, he realized, hey, this is low-yield strategy. So he went in, had a little testing, and got the car fixed. Uh-huh. And son wrote the letter just to – Tell us how much you appreciate it. So, anyway, it's all the nice way from to know, all, all the way from Australia. There I mean, you go. It's nice to know to help folks and get those from pretty much all over the world. Get quite a few out of Europe and even a lot of them out of Germany and stuff. Where I guess there are a number of people here who speak English. Yeah, well, uh, apparently there's, there's Google Translator. I mean, right. with the internet as it is today, you can translate just about any language. Yeah, but I from, mean to listen to the podcast because right. I guess most of these are getting our name and website address from podcast. Uh huh. So, anyway, big thank you out there to them, and there you go. (laughs) Give us a call. We also got a suggestion last week. A gentleman wrote in and said, why don't y'all talk a bit about computer programming, flash updates, Uh stuff such as that. I thought that was just an excellent idea. We touched on that just a tad last week when we were talking about check engine lights and so on. I think right at the end of the show we mentioned that sometimes there are flash updates that are available to address software updates yeah, software right. updates and stuff and we're going to talk about that quite a bit more today but right. uh, first let's get you these few of these phone calls good morning herb good morning yes, good sir. morning i got two vehicle 2012 honda and 2011 taurus the okay. taurus is due for antifreeze change mm-hmm. okay and it's got the green stuff in it and i was you know i've been looking around to see if i could find a Somewhere besides Ford Place for antifreeze. I, I found tell, out. I tell on, you what, Herb, you might just check with Ford Place on that because I think they're pretty reasonable on it. I know we buy it in 55 gallon drums from uh-huh. Ford. The green heavy duty and the VC7B yellow. I buy both of them from Ford, and they are as reasonable as any other quality coolant. Now, obviously, you can buy some junk coolant out there for yeah. any price you want to pay, but you might just check and see. Now, if it's got the green in it, that is basically just a heavy-duty coolant i mm-hmm. think most of the greens are compatible one with another but i buy a surprisingly large amount of coolants from the manufacturers and i buy my dex cool from chevrolet mm-hmm. i buy the like, toyota from toyota the honda from honda and i don't find them really any more expensive than any of the other top tier stuff okay well i found you found you to be right there because i've priced honda and mm-hmm. the cheapest place was a honda place there you so. go. <laughs> and you know you're getting the right thing that's right right and would the honda since this for aluminum engines would that work in the ford or would it be better to get the ford in i would probably use the ford product they're both 
what they call OAT, organic acid technologies, but they have different little additives and stuff in them. Could it possibly be done? Yeah, but is it worth the risk? Probably not. I would prefer to put the correct stuff in. Normally, your green stuff is going to be a phosphate or silicate type protection Mm -hmm. strategy, and your different colors are going to be either OAT or HOAT, which is going to be an organic acid or a hybrid organic acid, which is a different protection strategy. All of it is ethylene glycol. The the freeze side is the same on everything. I read an article online there about some guy pulled his engine down it. And he had the aluminum was eroded away. The gaskets were just someplace that were just hanging in between. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Yep. I tell you, we had a Honda come in the other day and had a hole, pinhole inside the block where it actually eaten all the way through the engine block and it was leaking coolant to the outside. Mm-hmm. So we, I just don't like messing with coolant. It's just, if it costs $1,000 a gallon, I might be tempted, but you know, you're talking 20 bucks a gallon or so. Okay, it's just when, not worth it. If, if I warm the engine up, and then be careful and let the, while the thermostat's open, let it drain out all I can. Would that be sufficient, or do I need to try to flush it somehow? No. Well, you don't have to flush it, but there's a drain plug on that Honda. You can, should be able to take out to drain the engine block, and, of course, you can yeah. drain the radiator with just taking the little radiator hose off. Just okay. be, be very careful getting that radiator cap off on a warm or hot right. engine yeah, right, yeah. because right. it will scald you. <laughs> yeah, I've worked in steam plants all my life. Oh, I there know you what go. that stuff well, you know. It'll take the hide right off of you. It'll, it'll lift it up like it's a sheet of paper and oh, it, flutter. That's <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, we like to pull the lower radiator hose in most cases because those little petcocks they put on the radiator are generally made out of plastic with an O-ring. And mm-hmm. I find a lot of times once you take them out, when you put them back in, they just never seal right again. Sometimes they strip and you end up having to buy a radiator. It's mm-hmm. easier for us just to pull the lower radiator hose off. And Is that block drain on that Honda, it's the Ridgeline, would, would it be, that fella, could he find it? or that need a, or the same, wood, same as an Odyssey, Three, I believe, five. underneath. It is an Odyssey drive line. I think there is a block drain that's fairly easy to get to, but I'm it's been a while since I've looked at a three. You just five. have to look under there and see. I know, so, like on your little four cylinder, it's right on the front of the motor, right? Mm-hmm. And it's pretty. In fact, apparent. The, the four cylinder has about four or five drain plugs on it. You just can't get to all of them, mm-hmm. but maybe two. But if you get to any one of them, you right? Can do all you job. need is to get to one of them. Yeah, if you, if you pull any of the drain plugs, you're gonna get enough of the coolant out. I mean, you may leave a few ounces in there, but you'll get by far enough to where you'll right. be effective. The drain plug in the block and the radiator. Mm-hmm. Okay, Taurus engine, it's cast iron. I can't remember. It never looked. Does it have a drain on the side, or I just pull the hose and on it? And some do, some don't. Probably so have to you, just look at it and see. It's going to be very obscure if you do. It may just look like a hex plug underneath a freeze plug in the side mm-hmm. of the block. It may have a four-point This is a, on the end of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a 2011 model, Herb. It's a new style, yeah. Yeah. You know, on a car that's still relatively new and the coolant has not 100% depleted, it's not going to be that necessary to get every drop of it out i mean it's nice if you can but if you can't you just change what you can change and maybe come back again in a year or two and change it again you're gonna do you're gonna yeah, achieve right. pretty much the same well, thing y'all had said five on the first chain three from then on so yeah uh, five uh, on the first and three subsequent to that no more than five yeah no more right. than five and if you can't get it all out you might want to move that up to two you know right just because it's cheap to do okay all righty well Alrighty. i appreciate it i just wanted to be sure i wasn't messing up for no I not at all all right. All right. Thanks, sir. Thanks, Bye-bye. sir. Bye. I 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would always love to hear from you. We was talking about that Honda coolant. The Honda Blue, which is the long-life coolant, right. comes pre-mixed That's correct. from Honda. Mm-hmm. So there's no need to mix it. Right. Now, Same the, thing with the Toyota Pink. Right. The, the super long-life 
is premixed. Right. The, the long life is not. Right. The red is not. The pink is. And the reason they've gone to that is because people just would not use distilled water. They were mixing city water, which was creating problems. Or often the or mixture up. not you know, mixing it, dumping the coolant in, then dumping the water in, and all those sorts of things, which were creating all sorts of issues. So what they did instead was just sell it to you as a pre-mix. Now, right. The advantage is it's much easier to use. Well, yeah. You're going to get the right mix in the car. The disadvantage is you're paying to transport Twice. water. Right. <laughs> and you're paying almost the same price for half the amount of coolant. Correct. So I guess like anything else, it's you know, a big part of the price of engine coolant is transportation costs because it's heavy. Mm-hmm. And when you're transporting a concentrate, you're getting twice as much product for the same transportation dollar. Correct. When you're mixing water with it, you're getting half as much product. It so takes the- twice as much to fill it as it would if you were mixing it on site with uh-huh. distilled water. But because people didn't want to use the distilled water or weren't mixing it properly, they just they went to that headed that problem off. Right. Let's go back to our phone line with Sheila. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. That's Good morning. Ma'am. I was calling because I have a 2002 Jaguar, and the computer is going out with the transmission. It's giving me some problems. Mm-hmm. I can go in reverse with the transmission, but it hesitates to change gear when I drive it. And so... I don't know, should I repair it, should I get a new car, or should I replace the part? Well, Sheila, I would first want to make sure that that is, I know you had a professional check and all that, but let me tell you, not every professional is the same. I would probably want to find somebody else to give me a second opinion on it, because that doesn't sound characteristic of a computer at all. Generally, when a computer goes out, it's not going to shift at all. It's just going to lose all of its shifting. It's not going to still do one thing and then delay on another thing. That sounds more like a sensor of some sort that's not getting the proper input. I would probably try to find someone else, have them give me a second opinion. And if they get the same exact diagnosis, okay, well, fine. But I think you might spend just a little bit of money and save a whole lot of money because you may have a faulty diagnosis. And what I don't know is where to take it. Well, and I can't help you with that either because not very many people that I know work on European cars. We don't service European at all. We do Asian and domestic only because all of the scan tools and all the equipment is totally different on European. And because Jaguar is a pretty limited production car in this area, there's just not a lot of guys who are going to invest in all the equipment to do it. But if you look around, there are people out there who do. You're just going to have to ask around. If you send me an email, I can send you a couple of suggestions of guys I know that work on them. I can't vouch for how good or bad they are, but I do know a couple of people who do work on them. So if you go on the on the website and just send me an uh, email, I'll give you a couple of suggestions that you might check. Okay, I do. I did send an email. I haven't checked to see the response yet, mm-hmm. but I, I do have the email when I sent um, yes, ma'am. early part of last week. Yes, ma'am. Well, just you have to use a fresh form each time. You can't reply to the old one because it'll kick it back out, but... Use a fresh form, go in and send me a new one, just say you want a recommendation on a European shop, and I'll, I'll look around and see what I can find for you. Thank you. I All right, man. It. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. Uh-huh. Bye. All right, we got to take a quick little break, and we'll be right if back with a whole lot more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. 40 years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there 
there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. Hats off to 40 years, partner. Go! Oh, 40 years is almost higher than I can count. My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really call. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us in the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go and give us a call. It's 291-6901. And we were saying we were going to talk a bit about computer updates and computer flashes and all mm-hmm. that. And what most people realize, there's a computer on a car, so I like the last lady who called. But there's not just a computer on a car. There are most modern cars, like, Take a typical Ford Fusion. Okay. Has 70 computers on it. Right. You know, seven, seven zero. zero. Yeah. <laughs> and each and every one of these is communicating with the others in different languages. There, I think there's at least five different languages on that particular car that is executing. Uh-huh. And most of them now have what they call a CAN network, either CAN or CAN-D, which is a one single wire that connects everything. Right. More or less like a cable you would have in your office that connects all of your computers or the cable vision that comes into your house where it's running the TV, it's running a telephone, it's, it's running, running the internet, the internet right. all these different things coming over one wire. And I had a gentleman who came in earlier this week, and he was having a problem, he thought, with the theft deterrent system on his car. And he says, well, can't we just disconnect it? I said, no, no. I'm sorry, you can't because it's built into the system. Well, I looked at the wiring diagram, and it's got a little part called immobilizer. I said, yes, it does. He said, well, it's just two wires. Can't you just tie those two wires together? I said, well, you can, but you'll burn up the computer, and it won't right. start. Well, can't you cut them? Well, you can, but, it's, again, it won't start because the immobilizer is not an off-on switch. It's not right, a, like, you, like an analog switch. It's not right. an analog You're switch anymore. You're thinking analog. It's a device that produces a square wave that goes to the PCM, which enables it in other words once the pcm gets this signal then it starts enabling the fuel pump the shifting Uh the injectors all the different functions that it controls which is virtually every function on the car correct to operate so if it doesn't get the proper square wave then it just doesn't enable anything so virtually 100 percent of the car is shut down at that point it won't shift it's not going to start it's It's not not going to do anything. anything And to make it, I guess, even more complicated, when it gets this signal from the immobilizer, it has a same signal stored in the body control module. So it just goes over and grabs that and looks at the two and compares them. Uh-huh. That way you can't get an immobilizer out of another car put, in, put in it because it's not going to match what's in the body control module. Right. So all three have to agree. Once they agree and shake hands, then it enables everything to start operating. And until that happens, I mean, you cut all the wires, tie all the wires together you want. That's, it's not an analog system. See, that's where most people go wrong. Yeah. Because everything used to be analog. Well, yeah. They it think, had an on-off switch. They think this off wire, This wire did this. This wire did that. That does not happen anymore. Right. Like you're saying, it's all a digital signal now. Yeah, everything is a pulse-width modulated square wave for the most part, and it's communicating over this one network. And 
everything as simple as the window switch on your car is not like a 12-volt switch that just turns on and off. Normally, today, when you hit that switch, it sends a request to the body module to lower the window. Right. The, the body, body module evaluates that, then it grounds a relay, which runs the power to the motor to run it up and down. Correct. Same thing with the air conditioning switch. Just about every switch Headlight in the vehicle. switches and everything else. Yeah, they're not off-on switches like they were at one time. Uh-huh. They are a sensor of some sort. The switches in the door that turn the light on and off is not a switch at all. It's a Hall Effect sensor, and it senses the doors closed. It senses when doors open. Right. And you might ask why so much complexity just for an overhead light, but it's doing more than that. It's also arming and disarming the theft system Mm -hmm. because if someone turns the key off, it knows, okay, the driver is now... Still in the vehicle. Still in the vehicle because the door hasn't opened and closed. Correct. So it may look at the seat sensor. It sees weight in the seat. Once the weight leaves the seat, it says, okay, the driver's now out of the seat, but has the door opened and closed. Because until the driver's door opens and closes, it's going to assume the driver's still in the car. Correct. So once the door opens and closes, then it's going to go in and arm the system. Now, if it sees the door open, but it does not see it close, or it sees it close, but it didn't does see it, it open, open, right? then – and those sorts of things happen when those little sensors go bad. For instance, we had a guy who was saying his alarm system would go off at night. And uh-huh. what it was, it would see the door open, but it wouldn't necessarily see it close. So after a period of time, it would say, if this door is still open, we got a problem. And it would set the alarm off. Or in the same token, if it sees the door open, like the sensor tells it, hey, the door is open, when it really isn't open at all. It doesn't know whether it's truly open. It just knows that sensor says it is. It says, okay, the door is open. It shouldn't be because it didn't unlock. You know, someone's forced this door open, wham, it's going to set the alarm, it's going to immobilize the car. Uh So all of these sorts of things can occur. These are the types of systems we're working with. Now, some of the things that go wrong are a physical problem. For instance, a bad sensor, a cut wire, a damaged wire, a physically bad part. Correct. Now, all of those are addressed just like they have been for 100 years. You go in, you find the bad part, you correct it and all that. But then there's a whole other series of issues that can occur. And these are glitches in the software. And the software that runs a car is an incredibly, incredibly complex program. They didn't, someone didn't just sit down and write this program from scratch. It's evolved over the last 30 years, and it keeps evolving more and more and more. Someone told me the average car has a far more complex software system than the rocket that put the guys on the moon. Mm-hmm. So just generations ahead of that. Right. Because it has all these millions of lines of code, which are all talking to each other and doing things and communicating and all that. And each year, what they do when they come out with a new vehicle, they don't necessarily throw out all the old stuff. They just go in and modify it to work, to with, work the with the new stuff. system. So right. it, it keeps evolving and getting bigger and bigger. And I don't know if anybody has the wherewithal to understand everything that's Not going all on of there. It. Not all of it. I guess there's teams of guys who understand parts of it, sure. and they all and the work, parts together. work together. The point is you can get a glitch. That is something that just doesn't go according to Hall. It mm-hmm. just didn't work out exactly like they, they had anticipated. One example of that is when they first came out with the six-speed transmissions on the Chevy pickups. Right. There was an issue where – it would shift just fine all of the time, except if you came to a rolling stop. Like, you came to a yield sign. I'm not going to say a stop sign because you're not supposed to be running <laughs> those. But you came to a yield sign. You let your foot off the gas. It slowed down. Enough. and then, But it didn't come to a complete stop. When you tipped into the accelerator, it might slam and make a harsh shift. Uh-huh. 
And what it was, it was retaining the car in the second gear because it never saw the brakes apply. It to never go back saw to you first come to gear. a stop. So it kept the car in the second gear. When it saw throttle position open mm-hmm. and it looked at the speed, it says, hey, we're in the wrong gear. So then it would slam down into first gear and then immediately shift back to second gear and give right. you a real boom, right? Real harsh engagement. Well, they were able to go in with a modification to the software and cure that. Mm-hmm. And what they did is just put some code and say, okay, under these conditions, if you see this, this, you see this, do this. If the speed goes below this, look at this rather than this. Uh-huh. And so they were able to get that. It's called a slide bump. They were able to program the slide bump out of that transmission. Now, clearly, if you've got a problem, let's say you've got a burned-up clutch in the transmission or a broken servo spring. Right. Well, you, software is not going to yeah, fix software that. Software cannot ever fix that. But it can fix a number of things. And there are software updates to most cars. And Mm -hmm. when the car comes out, generally they're going to come up with updates. And the way you know about these is you can go to what they call technical service bulletins. Right. Now, a technical service bulletin is kind of misunderstood by a lot of folks. It's not a recall. Okay. It's not something that they have to do for free if you're out of warranty or any of that sort of thing. What a technical service bulletin is, it's a document that's been created because they've noticed a number of similar problems on a number of similar vehicles. And for the most part, that gets fed back into the process through the warranty process. A new car goes out, a whole lot of them have a certain problem. The dealerships contact the factory and tell them, hey, we're having this trouble. They look at it and they come up with a fix and they issue a technical service bulletin for that. Right. Now, if your car has that problem and it's still under warranty, then they will take care of it. If right, it's out of warranty, they're not. It's it's like anything. It's not a a free thing. It's not a it's just an acknowledgement this problem does exist in this vehicle. Exist. And it doesn't mean that every single car is gonna have it. Right. I've seen technical service bulletins come out and the guy says, I've never had that problem. If you've never had the problem, leave it alone. Well, it's like my 06 Silverado. Mm-hmm. There's, there's several technical bulletins out on it, but I very rarely I go through them every couple of months just to see if there's a new one one that applies run that applies but most of them for the most part do not apply to my truck right and that brings up the first point i want to make and we're going to talk about this more after the break but a flash update is not a silver bullet right it's, it's not, not going to fix everything it's not going to fix everything and with every one you get there is a possibility you may get something that you, you don't, don't want, want. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to go more in detail with that when we get back from this break stay tuned to us Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Louis, it's your nanny. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. (laughs) Ho, 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 Louis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Now I'm noise off the river to ride on my 
with the whiskers has a lot behind it. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us, and we'll appreciate a call if you have something on your mind, give us a call. We'll glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction, talking about computer updates and flash updates and bulletins and such as that. But we'll take a call on any topic you might have. That's it. Just give us a call. You know, right now is a perfect time. There you go. Don't ever have to call in on the topic we're talking about. We always take calls on any topic. You just give us a call. We're going to help you out and give you some advice. That's right. Right now is, like I said, a great time to call. This is why we're sitting here doing the show for you this well, morning. Well, that's absolutely right. It's the reason we come in every Saturday morning and do this show so we can get that information out for people. And like we alluded to just before the break, when you get a software update, you're going to get what you want. Uh It's going to be there. But you may also get some things that you don't want. Right. Because it all comes in one little package. comes as a package. package. I remember there was an update on the 3.6 liter engines because they're having trouble throwing the timing chains, jumping timing. Correct. And in my opinion, they just designed the timing chain too light. And then they hung a direct injection pump off of it, which was way overloaded, and they extended the oil changes out. So they had kind of like a perfect storm of problems. Well, when you get this update, what it does is it moves the oil change reminder way up. Uh-huh. So it no longer tells you go seven or 8,000 miles. It moves it up closer to three to 4,000 miles. Right. But another thing it does, it cuts the engine power about 20%. Right. That way it doesn't tear itself up again. Right. It does not. Tear the timing chain up as bad because it's producing less power. Correct. But people will go and get this update done. They say, well, my engine doesn't doesn't run. Yeah, it doesn't run. Right. Well, okay, that's sort of irreversible because once you've done an update, you can go to a more advanced update, but it's very, very difficult to To go go back to a previous update. Right. Because when you go to flash it, it's just going to say all updates, everything's up to date. Mm -hmm. It's not going to say it doesn't see where it needs an update because it sees everything is current. So it won't let you go back to a previous one. Right. Now, there might be a way that you could do it. I don't know. But for the most part, once you've updated it, it's going to be updated. It's not going to go back to the previous. You can't just say, oh, oop. Like, yeah, I didn't like, like on, that. Like on Windows where you got your restore button. Yeah. <laughs> they don't provide that, unfortunately. So you got to be just a little bit careful because with every update, you're going to get what you want, but you may also get some things that you don't want. And sometimes that's listed out and sometimes it's not. Right. Well, sometimes they're unaware of it. Yeah. Right. Because they made a change to do one thing, which also affects something else. And 99% of people may not notice it, but one person may, mm-hmm. maybe something that they don't like. I remember we put a new transmission in a Lexus one time. The transmission failed. And... When we put the new transmission, there was a software update for transmission issues. So right. we always put the latest and greatest software on it. And the lady said, well, it shifts harder than it used to. Mm-hmm. And she I went was... and drove with her. And, I mean, she was so attuned to this car, she knew exactly how it shifted before. And to me, it was not objectionable. I wouldn't have even noticed it. Uh-huh. But she was so attuned because she'd been driving the car for 10 years. And it was slightly firmer shift but the reason it was because the computer was now commanding a little more pressure at the shift and the reason they did that was because they saw where some of these transmissions were failing so rather than allow that little slip which gave you a real comfortable smooth shift they boosted the line pressure slightly right go ahead once i explained it to her she was fine with it it says okay yeah if it's gonna make it last longer it's not a problem it's just Just different different. from how it was before Mm mm-hmm so those are the sorts of things that you can see. Right. You've got to have the factory information to do a factory update. Right. Because the, the aftermarket stuff is 
mostly built, they want to build performance in a vehicle. Mm-hmm. So they'll go in and change the, the programming. Right. It's kind of like a triangle. You, you're going to get something, but you're going to get further away from two other things. Well, that's right. With all engineering, and in a car, for the most part, you're going to have economy on one point, durability on the other point, and performance on the third point. Correct. You can get any two, but when you do, you can get further from the third. For instance, if I want to get more performance out of the engine, I can advance the timing more. I can put more fuel into the cylinders. I can do all sorts. I can advance cam timing. I can move shift points up, and I can get more performance. But that's going to move you farther away from durability. I'm going to lose durability, and I'm going to also lose some economy. Right. I can also gain some economy. But, again, I'm going to lose some performance, and I'm going to lose some durability. And what happens so often, people go in and get a performance chip put in their car. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize is, number one, you voided the warranty on the car. Right. Because when you go in with an engine problem, and they hook up, and they see this has got an aftermarket programmer in it. Yeah, it's done. You're done. You're out of here. Because you violated the warranty. Right. You've changed this in a way that maybe created the problem that you had. That's part of your warranty contract. So, first off, you can avoid the warranty on the car if it's under warranty. Second is, you may not be able to pass emissions testing any longer. Mm -hmm. Third, depending on what you do, you may be performing in legal operation. Because if you do anything that influences the emissions of that vehicle, that is illegal. Right. And people say, well, how can they sell it? Well, they sell it as an off-road chip or an off-road program. And Correct. by putting the words off-road, it means it is not intended for use on a public highway. That gets the liability off of them. Basically, shifts it back to you. Correct. Because you're not using the car off-road, and if it were a race car and was only run down the track, then it doesn't matter what program you run in it exactly. from the EPA standpoint. But how, when you put it on the street. When you put it on the street. Now, you do fall under EPA guidelines, and them boys are serious. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when they start handing out fines, it's in the five to $10,000 range, and they really don't want to hear a whole bunch of excuses. First off, they're probably going to go back against a shop that did it, if a shop did it. If you did it yourself, I don't know what they're going to do. I have no idea. And I don't want to find out. I don't either. So <laughs> we don't do anything. We don't modify anything. We right. put everything back the way it was designed, just because there's enough problems when you do that. But if you're contemplating one of these aftermarket Aftermarket. programs, first off, I have never seen one that really does the things they say it'll do. Uh They are always going to make more horsepower. It's going to do this, going to do that. Well, it may make a little more horsepower, but you're going to be trading away durability and you're going to be trading away economy. Correct. And I just don't see where they're really worth the problems that you encounter. Sometimes you start getting check engine lights that nobody can fix. Mm -hmm. Because when you bring it in to me, I'm going to plug in with a GM scan tool, Ford scan tool, Toyota scan tool, and it's not going to communicate. It's going to say protocol not recognized or whatever. It's going to give me some type of warning. At that point, the only thing I can do is hand your keys back. Right. You're on your own. You're on your own. So now you got to go try to find somebody who knows how to communicate with this thing. That guy's probably gone because (laughs) he's been put in jail for modifying (laughs) programming or whatever. You may end up having to buy a new computer or whatever to get this thing corrected because you may not be able to go in and reprogram it to the factory settings. Mm -hmm. So something you want to think long and hard about before you make these kind of modifications. Now, this is not talking about factory modifications. Right. When the factory comes up with a modification, they present it to the EPA. EPA will sign off on it. All the different agencies that are concerned will sign off on it. They'll study it. They'll make sure there's no other serious ramifications. Then they will issue it. Mm -hmm. 
and that's perfectly acceptable. I remember at one time we had a trouble with the Ford Crown Vic and the Grand Marquis. When they got about 110, 120,000 miles, check engine light would pop on, PO420 or PO430, catalyst below efficiency. Right. Now, at that point, the only repair at that time was replace the two catalytic converters. $900 a piece. Yeah, very expensive. What Ford found, because they had a lot of complaints on it, they went in and they checked, and they said, yes, these are below efficiency, but they are still serviceable. Mm-hmm. In other words, they can't meet the same specification they could when they were new. Right. But they're still serviceable. So they went to the EPA and said, look, we're having this problem. Our customers are spending thousands of dollars replacing converters because they won't meet the original specification. Is it okay to broaden that spec out? Or I think what they did is they moved it to like a two-trip code rather than a single-trip code. For instance, now when it fails the the first time cat test rather than throw the light on it will put it in a little file and start to watch it it has to fail two times on two consecutive drive cycles then it turns light on right if it does not then it just the light, ignores it so the light doesn't come on it if the cat is just sort of marginal but it's still serviceable, serviceable then it's not going to turn the light on and that was a legitimate update that ford came out with we could mm-hmm. flash the computer when we had that code and it would solve the problem right Another one was on a, I think it was a Saturn, and it was throwing out a code for, I think it was a PO128, which was engine below temperature. And, of course, the first thing most people would do is they would change the thermostat, Mm -hmm. which is the normal fix for that. But then the code would come back again. Well, next thing they might do if they're real ingenious is they would go in and change the temperature sensor. Right. Code would come back again. Well, Saturn realized they had a little glitch in their software that was generating this code, we could go in, verify that the temperature was correct, verify that the sender unit was reading correct, and if it was, we could do the flash update, and it would change turn the, the light out. Because whatever it was seeing that it didn't like was able to be programmed out. Correct. So that was the fix for the car. And, again, 100% legitimate fix. It's not going to affect your emissions. Went through the you EPA. Went through EPA. It's all approved. You can go down and get your inspection sticker. You won't realize that it's even in there. Exactly. Except the check engine light quits Doesn't coming come on. on. And we see those quite a bit. Now, how might the average customer know if there are updates that will resolve certain problems? We have to buy that information. The manufacturers supply it, but they don't supply it free of charge. Uh-huh. For instance, GM charges us about $5,000 a year to access their information. Right. Ford does the same, same thing. Chrysler does the same thing. Toyota does the same thing. So you can spend an inordinate amount of money for information access today. What you're going to probably be dollars ahead is to bring the car in, have a general inspection done, and ask, are there any software updates? Or tell the shop, I'm having this problem. Then they're going to check the technical service bulletin, see if there are any updates. If there are any updates, they can make you aware of it. Right. That way they can go in, do the updates if necessary. Same thing like you were talking about earlier. These updates have to come from the manufacturers. We get them in, they come in on a, a satellite dish, and they download them to the hard drive on our machine, or sometimes we just go out and grab them from, grab the, internet. Them from the internet right, or whatever. But you have to have the equipment and tooling to do that. Right. On the GM, that is the MDI or the Tech 2, which basically is two different computer systems, right. diagnostic computer systems. One for the later model and one, one for, for the, the earlier model. Right. You tie it into the internet, download the information from the internet to the tool, and then from the tool into the PCM on the car. Right, or the BCM or whatever module, whatever module. happen to be flashing, right. the seat control module or whatever it might be. 
Now, one thing that is extremely important when you're doing this is that there is a special type of battery charger that has to be attached to the car while this is taking place. It's a highly regulated charger, very expensive, that maintains system voltage precisely right. Because if you're running off the car's battery, and this some of these updates can take 30, 45 minutes to right. install, if the battery voltage drops below a certain point while the update is taking place, you may very well have bought a new computer. Sure. It will scramble the memory, and you just can't fix it. It's a new computer begotten at that time. So you have to have a voltage backup. It has to be a very, very highly regulated, sensitive that keeps that voltage precisely where you want it. Hey, one last quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alderson, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call. It's 291-6901. We're talking about computer updates and flash updates and such as that, but we'll entertain any question you might have. That's it. Automotive related. That's right. Or otherwise. Oh, yeah? <laughs> hey, <laughs> just hit us with it. Just, just hit me. <laughs> I'm wide open ready. Boy, right. I had two cups of coffee. I'm good night. Oh, yeah. Sleep. You're ready to go yeah, now. Oh, yeah. I'm buzzing, man. <laughs> we were talking about these updates and uh -huh. just the different things like that, some of the ones we've seen in the past and so on as that. But the best thing to do is that. If you suspect you have a problem, is to take it into a good, competent shop, have them check the current calibration, review the bulletins, review the problem you're having, mm -hmm. and then they can tell you what problem that may be addressed by one of these software updates. Right. And what we do when we do that, we have to go in. You, have, you can't connect directly to the Internet and get this information. It's not that type of download. It has to download from your car into our tool, and then we go to the internet or to the website, to the website. That, whatever, and download it into the scan tool. Sometimes there's a buffer of some sort. And then we can take and put it back into your car. And it, it formats it in an automotive format. Correct. That the car can accept and understand. Also, sometimes you can go in, take the programming off of a module, replace the module, and put the programming back on the new module. For whatever reason, you need to replace the module. If you have to replace the module. So it's two or three different ways that it can operate. We're going back to our phone lines with Randy. Good morning, Randy. Yes, sir. Hey, how y'all doing today? Doing great. Good man. morning. 
Good. I have an 06 Chevrolet Blazer that has very little miles. I mean, it just turned 60,000 miles on Okay. It. I drive it about 15 to 20 miles per week. I change it to all in and I keep up with it. The all of this unit has been in it for right at a year, but that all don't even have half 2,000 miles on yeah. yeah, what you got to go by on that, Randy. So you are under extreme conditions. That's not normal operating conditions. It doesn't yeah. matter so much how many you put a year. It's how far you go in each trip. And what a trip is, you start your car, you drive it a little ways, and you turn it off. If your average right. trip is less than 10 miles, then you are under right. extreme conditions because you're never getting the oil hot enough to boil the moisture out. So you're forming probably 10 times as much sludge as an average guy would do. Under those conditions, uh, I would never go more than twice a year. I would be, I'd change it at least twice a year. I wouldn't even worry about the miles. Okay. Uh, that's what I was wondering. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I was wondering. I didn't want to, you know, I take care of it. I don't want to hurt my engine. But Well, that's right. You know, well, yeah, one so. thing I would suggest to you too, Randy, because I'm under similar conditions with my truck. I go from work to home and home to work, and I drive about five miles at a time as far as I ever go. I run synthetic, right. fully, fully synthetic Mobile One in mine just because I want that little extra protection because those are extreme conditions. That's the hardest use you can give the vehicle. All righty? I think All we right. lost him. <laughs> That's one of those things that people a lot of times don't realize. I do get that question from time to time. Is I don't put that many miles and miles and time are a factor, but operating conditions are the primary factor for all changes. Right. Really, I wish there were a way we could just get away from miles. Everybody is so used to thinking 3,000, 4,000, 5,000, a number like that for miles, and they tend to disregard the way they operate the vehicle. Exactly. What makes it worse is that everybody thinks the way they drive is normal. It's normal. Because right, it's but normal it's not. to them, but it's not normal conditions. Right. If you ever look at the guidelines from, say, Chevrolet, GM, Ford, Toyota, whatever, almost every one of them will tell you normal conditions are 10 miles or more per trip, no excessive idling, not operating over not certain above, temperatures right. and all these sorts of things. If you look at people who drive five miles, that falls under extreme conditions of severe, severe service. service. They're going to recommend something close to 3,000 miles on that. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing a lot of little short trips, and I know we have a lot of elderly customers. Right. And let's say we've got a lady, with a lady, and she goes to the beauty shop once a week. She goes to church once a week, goes to the grocery store once a week. All and they're all right trip, there around yeah, her house. Three or four miles each way. Exactly. And so that car is under extreme conditions. She needs to be changing her oil extremely frequently, and she needs to be using a synthetic oil. Because mm-hmm. if not, you're very likely to have sludge buildup problems and other internal engine problems. Sure. That is far, far more hard on the vehicle than the guy who gets in his car and he drives 100 miles. And right. At a time. He or, could actually go out a little further. He than, could probably go five, 6,000 miles without right. any problem. The guy who lives in Baton Rouge and works in Atlanta, he drives 500 miles each way. Uh-huh. He could probably easily go five, 6,000 miles between all changes. Sure. Because the engine's hot. It's balled all the moisture out of it. It's running at peak efficiency. Those are ideal conditions. So forget about just the mileage recommendation. you got to consider conditions, driving conditions. That's the big determining factor, far more than anything else when it comes sure. to all changes. Sure. I've been noticing our old, when we said all changes at the shop – a lot of our customers will come in a month or two before the time they've reached 3,000 miles. Yeah. And we'll recommend to them, hey, you might want to take this out another 1,000 if you're doing this constantly every 
right. so many. Yeah, it's a you have to. It's base something it. you got to base well, off what you started, how you drive. When I started spending weekends in New Orleans and driving back and forth, I could run my oil changes out a lot further because I got that long drive. Sure. But hey, we're just about totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and get some more people listening. That's right. Go to iTunes or Stitcher or whomever you might use and have a place for a written review. Give us a written review because that moves us up in the rankings. That way, when someone types in auto repair, our name pops up. More people listen so we can keep doing the show. There you go. Because if nobody listens, they're going to kick us off of here. <laughs> <laughs> that they will. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.